if you only do it to see outcomes, to see change, to see them, you know, get better, then they become they become projects instead of humans. If you're serving, it's got to be serving people. Service. It's one of the disciplines nearly everyone practices, religious or not, at least at some point or another. In Western Christianity, along with prayer, study, and worship, service is a pretty standard practice that we encourage folks to work with. But it goes deep, really deep. As with all the spiritual disciplines, it often reveals issues of the heart But it doesn't just reveal, it often disrupts, tinkers. And ultimately, when done willingly, not as a victim, when we're really free to serve in hidden and seen ways, God uses this practice to potentially help shape and form who we are in good and wonderful ways. Now, service was very much a part of Jesus' life on earth, his public ministry and healings. And how about that image toward the end, that picture of divinity washing the dirty, dusty feet of his friends and future betrayer? And then, of course, the cross. Little and sometimes big opportunities to pick up a metaphoric towel and basin for many of us It starts in our own home. And for those of you living alone, you need only open your door, turn on your phone, go to work or the store. Human need is everywhere. Our guest today is a pastor and teacher. She has a TV program and a few years back started this international organization seeking to serve, to love, the most vulnerable on our planet, babies. The organization is called Saving Moses. Her name is Sarah Bolin. My name is Nathan Foster. And welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready, sir. Thanks again for doing this. Oh, no, no. Thank you. I'm super. The last one we did was so good. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I mean, I like you. And so getting to hang out is like, is golden. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It is a nice part of getting to do this. I get to talk with people that I don't get to talk to on a regular basis. So yeah, good. that's cool. Okay. I have a question for you. Yes, sir. What have you learned about yourself in practicing the discipline of service? I learned <laughs> that I like to serve. It gives me incredible joy, mm-hmm. like overflowing, opulent, lit up joy. I love it. Mm-hmm. It lights me up. What is it you love about it? Um, I think there's a lot of things. There's, I mean, just the quick transaction, you know, obviously you see people and the joy it brings them is nice, right? I mean, that's all mm-hmm. kind of some of those immediate, tangible, visible rewards is nice. But more than that, there's something in me mm-hmm. uh, that there's this rich, deep 
satisfying, fulfilling, like, oh my gosh, Hmm. like, you know, kind of this, and it's robust and I haven't found, maybe it's in its own way. It's its own little drug. I don't know, euphoria, something. I haven't (laughs) found anything that kind of matches it. Mm. (laughs) It's a a sense where we, we feel human. You feel human, but you feel like good human, not that yucky, (laughs) gross, sucking the life out of, you know, humanity. You know what I mean? It's like this, the good side of, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. this can be good. Not just kind of the crappy side of humanity, being a human. Yeah, yeah. What, What challenges has it brought up for you? I think some of it is there's the the finite sense that I have, you know, finite humanity. I'd like to do more. Mm-hmm. And then when there's not enough of me, mm-hmm. whether that's mm-hmm. time or money or whatever, that can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also brings up in me this, then mm, this is the really, really ugly side. Who wants to admit it? But it's true. <laughs> um, I find myself being judgmental with people who are not and, and, and people I think quote should be, you know, like mature quote unquote mature Christians or whatever. And, you know, should have a better, more developed sense of, and so I find myself judgmental and I don't want to admit it, but it's the truth. And from time to time, not always, but from time to time. And I see that ugly side of me and I'm like, ugh, that's pretty, gross that's disgusting is there a middle ground with the judgment and it, here's what i mean by that it, i mean i know what you mean in the sense of when we're looking at people and starting to think ill and you know getting in, involved in what they're doing and not doing and um, being a little pious about it but there's also a sense of kind of assessing the world and people and choices and looking and saying um Maybe there's some problems that um, so many of us are consumed with ourselves and don't go beyond um, reaching out and helping others. So I just wonder if there a is there a middle ground in there? I think there is, um, and I think too. You know, I look at what Jesus did in terms of kind of stepping into that. You know, and stepping into, you know, and he's Jesus, so he's gonna call a spade a spade, you know, (laughs) in terms of, hey, you know, your Pharisees and self-righteous people, you know, it's kind of pretty ugly in your brain there. Mm -hmm. Um, But the middle ground, and I I, I think he he models that middle ground because, you know, like the woman at the well, John chapter four, um, and he talks with her and, you know, she behaves like a reject ostracized you know she comes when nobody's there to collect water and yet at the same time because she's been rejected she's been judged by people and you know and kind of you can kind of understand the mindset with the broken dysfunctional relationships that she has but she doesn't model that rejection back after that conversation with jesus she goes back to her town and says come and see a man who told me everything i ever did and I think maybe some of the anchor for that middle ground is that daily integrated relationship with Jesus helps us to kind of stay out of the quagmire mm-hmm. and still be able to engage constructively. And I think when that's vibrant, 
and kind of online in our lives well. But I find when I'm kind of trying to pull it off in my own, you know, and by myself, which I tend to do, maybe that's when I get in deep water, kind of hit the quicksand, start to drown a little bit. I can see why there might be a temptation to be aware of what others aren't doing, um, it, particularly in the context of the intensity of what you've spent these years doing. Uh, I, I wondered if you could, could you tell us the story about how Saving Moses came to be? Yeah. I, uh, I had a friend of mine talk with me and say, hey, Sarah, I think there's more in you than just this Bible teaching stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, I just started to ask God, hey, you know, whatever, I'm open to whatever you want to do. So, you know, show me and I'm willing to explore. I love adventures. I'm wired up that way. So, and um, over the course of time, I was in an orphanage in Ethiopia and there were newborn twins that had been abandoned. And I held those newborns in my arm. And the orphanage initially said, we can't, we can't take them because we don't have the resources. And when the police called the orphanage, they told the police said to them, if you don't take them, we have to put them back on the field where they were abandoned. Mm-hmm. So they, and, were, they were abandoned in a field, taken yeah. to the orphanage. Orphanage says, can't do it. Police yep. say, they're going yep. back. Okay. Yep. And, um, and the orphanage is like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. Just don't put them <laughs> back on the field, right? And I found out later, a lot of the orphanages don't don't look after zero to five or zero to three because it takes just a lot more resources and, it, you know, it's just a totally different dynamic to care for a six-month-old as opposed to a 10-year-old. Right. I mean, that's just a totally different world. And so that's the that was the beginning part. I held those newborns in my arms. Their names were Sarah and Ruth. And um, new mom, you know, my mom, my my daughter was with me on that trip. She was eight years old at that time. And I was, I mean, it just tore me up, shredded me on the inside. And so that was kind of my beginning. And then I, I was in my prayer time um, after that. And I felt like God dropped the name Saving Moses um, into my heart. And I thought about it. I was like, well, here's Moses, three months old, then the Nile River, right? Crocodile food. And right. uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes and collects him. And um, she doesn't have any idea. She just knows it's some Hebrew little baby boy. And let's look after him. But, you know, the end of his life, we got the five books of the Old Testament. We got the Ten Commandments. We got Mount Sinai. I mean, pick something, right? I mean, Israelites out of Egypt, Nile River, Red Sea. You got a whole plethora of things that are pretty (laughs) pretty phenomenal, right? (laughs) But he's three months old. And, um, oh, my gosh, he's about ready to – he's just the next snap for a crocodile, you know, Mm -hmm. little snack, right? And so – that's where I felt like, you know, God helped me with the name. And um, so I started exploring and looking around the world. And my uh, culminating trip, I went to Angola. And at that time, it had one of the highest infant mortalities. And there was a little two-year-old little girl named Angelina. And uh, she was pretty much at death's door. And the photographer that was with me, we both donated blood. And, you know, we are thinking... God brought us here for such a time as this. We're going to save this little girl, you know, and she died. We gave her blood, but she still died. And um, that was probably a culminating moment for me because I don't know, it put something in me that I didn't have before. Maybe determination 
I don't know. It, it still rips me up, you know? And I mean, it was, I don't know, almost 10 years ago. No, mm -hmm. oh, it was about eight years ago, but I just, and so that's where we came kind of started saying yeah to babies and toddlers. And, and what we do with saving Moses, we don't, don't necessarily do kind of the peripheral things, but we do most urgent where the need is most urgent. So malnutrition clinics, infant immunizations, um, healthy delivery, safe deliveries in rural Afghanistan. And then we have something called night care. Um, and I take care of the babies and toddlers of sex workers in third world countries. Um, and nobody's doing that. And mm -hmm. so I really love that. We started doing that a little over five years ago. Mm -hmm. so we have five night care centers in uh, Cambodia. And we have one we opened in Bangladesh. We're opening some more in Bangladesh and hoping to open soon in India. You know, this is where the need is most urgent because these babies, many of them are on the bed with mom as she's working. Mm. As you know, so daycare in America, we drop them off. Well, we have what we call night care. So if you want to change the industry, you start with the babies because that's their worldview, right? Mm. I mean, their worldview is shaped by that. So most urgent, where the need is most urgent every night, that's the most urgent need. And then the care is least available because these moms don't have anything else to do with their babies. And in America, we think, well, you know, you should be helping the moms. And there's a lot of organizations that do help the moms. There's, I mean, there, there's a plethora of them, but there's not one, one organization devoted to the babies. Right. And, and that's me. So I feel honored that mm -hmm. uh, Jesus said it. When you do this to the least of these, you do this to me. And I don't know that there's more least of the least on the planet than mm -hmm. the baby of a sex worker. You know, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the thumbnail on it. It's a, it gives them a place to be, right? Like a like a drop off daycare. Exactly. And so mm -hmm. the moms bring them at nighttime before they go to work. Uh, our nannies in you know in every center, we run over on average no less than a hundred babies every night, close to one hundred and fifty actually. Wow. And um, we they drop them off. We give them a bath because their day <laughs> is pretty dirty. We give them dinner. A lot of times that's the only meal they have. We play with them a little bit, have some circle time. Mm -hmm. And then when we put them to bed, they sleep through the night. Moms collect them in the morning. Wow. Um, so they have little mats they sleep in. You know, there's about eight or ten to a room. We have a, some of the our nannies stay in the same room with them to make sure they're sleeping okay. And then in the mornings, the moms collect them when they're done from work. So they're out of the urgent, the most urgent, you know, like most dangerous time, mm -hmm. uh, most urgent, least available care. So we step into that and uh, it's awesome because, I mean, it's genuine love. It's genuine love. Mm -hmm. How many worldwide, how many kids are being affected by the efforts of saving Moses? You know, it's a good question. And particularly this year. So I was in Angola a few months back for this year. It's pretty unbelievable. They've had, I want to say, I was looking at the reports recently. They had like 1700 babies and toddlers go through our, our malnutrition clinic just in the, like the first half of the year. That wow. doesn't include all of the night care work that we do or the work we do in Afghanistan. Um, and so at least I'd say, you know, a couple thousand every year. Um, and we're a new organization. I mean, we're relatively 
fresh. And so I'm pretty passionate, obviously, to expand. But um, I'd say, you know, a couple thousand minimum that we serve in a variety of ways. And mm-hmm. I love to do that. I think it's very much Jesus with skin. Right. When you look at this work, I mean, it's it's in- inspiring. It's beautiful. What have you learned about God? Man, I've learned the unconditional love of God. Mm. Unconditional. You know, I, I a lot of my moms for night care, you know, there's drug addicts. They have AIDS, you know, they're quote unquote undeserving, you know. Um, and when I serve, I sense that unconditional love flowing through me that regardless of, of the depravity, and I mean full on depravity, and a lot of times you could get super repelled, you know, I mean, like, oh my gosh. You know, how dare, just all that. But I just, I sense God's love, unconditional love. And that, for me, it changes me, you Mm -hmm. know, where I'm, again, less judgmental and less impatient, less intolerant. I just sense that love. And it's pretty unraveling. Uh, To me, it unravels me on the inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things I notice in starting to dig into some of these dark places um it just goes deeper and deeper and there seems to be less solutions yeah i know i know and that's really unsettling because you think i'd really like to see the end of this i'd like to see some help some solutions some conclusion you know um and i mean in broad strokes you can put it in in the sin category (laughs) you know humanity is sinful you know original sin so maybe at the end of the day that's ultimately what you push up against possibly but at the same time i think if you if you just if you allow yourself to get overwhelmed or discouraged you know and you just quit and walk away that's not the answer either right right and i think if you only do it if you only do it to see outcomes, to see change, to see them, you know, get better, then they become they become projects instead of humans. And we can't have projects and love well, right? We people it has to be people, not projects. And I don't know how you, if you're serving, it's got to be serving people. Mm-hmm. And so whatever they do or they don't do, I look at myself, and I think we have to be careful because if we we make it transactional. I'm going to help you if I see you get better. Well, if you're not getting better, then I'm not going to help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the genuine love is in that. I don't, I, that's transactional. I mean, that's just a cash register at Starbucks. I'm going to give you money. You're going to give me coffee. You know, I'm going to give you help and you're going to get better. That's not what we have here. These are people. And so it's a genuine love. I think we have to really be careful with that. And not pay too much attention to the outcomes. I think the outcomes are, are important for sure, but I also think in a in a grand scheme of things, I think when you look at it, try to have God's perspective on it. He sees the the long end of the road and not the sprint. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he sees the journey. I think a lot of times we just see one pinpoint on the journey, or maybe we walk a block, you know, 
And, and I think over time, God uses things cumulatively to help us grow and change. I see that in my life. You know, I've had people walk with me for a block. I've had people walk with me to the next stoplight, you know, so to speak. And um, some people have been seeing things in, in a journey point of view. Um, and some people just see things a little bit more in the short term. I think that outcomes are important, but I don't always think we, I think we have to be um, generous in our heart, not just 100% on the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'm hearing in it is a sort of respect for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and respect for the journey, respect for what they want, what are their choices and they get to have a free will. I mean, I think that's part of what genuine love is, is free will. And, and God does, gives us that. Um, he didn't create robots, you know, put in this little number and you get this outcome. Um, he created humans, fully formed, independent, cognizant, whatever those big words are, <laughs> right? And we get free will, yeah. as do the people that we serve and love. They have a free will, too. Mm-hmm. What I catch in some of this is not coming in with our agenda, could you talk a little about that? Yeah, I think a lot of times, particularly as Americans, we tend to be outcome based, you know, and we have like a a path and a plan and, you know, you go through steps one, two, three, four, and you come with this output. Um, and I think, I think those are nice. And, and I think I applaud that for what it is, but on the other side of it, I think when you look at, over the long term, I think love, uh, the ultimately, John 13, 35, Jesus says, people know you follow me by your love for one another. And if, if, I, if I make that my end game, mm-hmm. um, the agendas kind of get restructured to that priority. Yeah. And that helps me. That helps me to be more sincere, more more honest with who I am and what I'm doing. I'm not here to turn you into, you know, you're not my, again, you're not my project. You're, you're, I want to love you well. And I don't want to just love you in what it means from my perspective. What does it mean for you? What does love mean by your, what, how do you, what does love mean to you? So like my sex workers and their babies, when I take care of their babies, that's one of the best ways I can love them is because they don't love anything often more than they love their babies. So when I love their babies, well, it's inherently clear to them that I love the moms. And again, I think genuine love, it's, you know, people reject it, accept it, twist it, tweak it, do all that stuff. But on the inside, whatever they do, I still want to love well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the inside of me and not based it on what they do or they don't do. Because if it's based on what they do or they don't do, then it's not genuine love. It's just that transaction grid again. Mm -hmm. Which is ultimately a setup in the sense that if everything goes well, then I'm kind of, you know, yay. Yeah. And when things and I don't, get something then I, out of it. if right. I get something out of it, it's all about me. And that's yeah. selfish. It makes yeah. me feel good. Well, that doesn't make the recipient feel good. It just makes them feel like they got screwed over. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit porous, but. Uh, no, it goes <laughs> even worse than that. I mean, the, the history of service work 
it's pretty um, disturbing when we go in with agendas, uh, outcome based, and we can do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. It's totally true. It's totally true. And I love, you know, you look at Mother Teresa, you Mm -hmm. know, and what, what she did. I mean, she served and gave and she didn't qualify it. You know, if you if you listen to my message about Jesus, then I'm going to give you this food. She didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. She, you know, and I'm not saying she did it all right, but <laughs> would that we could kind of do a little bit <laughs> what she did, right? Man, seriously. I th- I think of it a little like um, I'm supposed to show up and do what I can. But in a sense, the I mean, we want to do best practices, but the outcomes, um, I'll, I'll at least internally go, that's really none of your business, Nate. Right. Your, your and, job's to show and up. I, yeah, show up and love well and let God kind of figure out what how that gets kind of rolled out, execution of that. I, and I totally agree. And and I don't have all the answers. People are like, well, aren't you doing this? And aren't you helping over here? And what about this? And I'm like, those are all good, viable questions. I don't have the answers. And all I know is that I'm going to take care, really good care, the best I can of this baby and toddler um, in their most urgent need. And I'm just going to love well. I don't know, but I do know that I love well and I did it well today. <laughs> you know, So keeps it simple and kind of gets me out of my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Keeps me in my heart. Yeah. Can I ask what this has cost you emotionally? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can say no. (laughs) So that's that's an interesting question because there's a lot of times I think people glorify romanticize. Oh, you know, that must be so fulfilling and rewarding. Um, I don't know. I mean, it breaks my heart. And I don't get cold and hard to it. I had somebody ask me that one time, do you have to always feel it? And I don't know how you can genuinely love and not feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, a couple months ago, I was in Angola and two-year-old little boy. I'm He's basically at death's door, and I, I, you know, you hear him breathing, and it's, you know, it's, they call it the death rattle. Um, and it, you know, it unravels me. I have, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's not glamorous. And I think, you know, people, Oh, that's so great what you do. I'm like, yeah, it is. And it's expensive in my soul, in my heart. Because I feel it. How have you managed to stay open to feeling it? Conscientious decisions day by day, you know, and be in it and intentionally put myself in it day after day. And not sit in a hotel room in air conditioning, you know, but step out into it, mm-hmm. get my feet dirty, walk in the muck and the mire, hold the babies that are have shallow breathing, hug the moms, get dirty, get smelly. They pee on you. Awesome. 
stay in it, you know, and, and commit to that mm-hmm. consistently year by year. Um, and those are conscientious decisions that I make intentional. Right. It's not the easy road. It's not the easy road is do the Western comfortable routine thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't, but that's just not going to fly for me. It's not how I'm wired up. What, what does your prayer life look like when you're hearing the death rattle, when you're laying in bed at night? Yeah. Hey, you know, it's a, it's a pretty honest prayer life because I get pretty lit up and I just get pissed off. I mean, I'm going to be real honest with mm-hmm. you. Sure. I get mad at God. I'm like, I don't get it. You know, why don't you <laughs> conversations? Why don't you kill these ugly people? Why don't you kill the the murderers and the rapists and all that? Why do you, why do we have these like, you know, babies and toddlers, innocent victims that do this stuff, you know? Yep. So those are, that, that's some of my prayer life. It's like, Hey, this is really crappy. I get bitchy about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just honest. That's so probably might we might need to bleep some of that, but <laughs> <laughs> no. there you go. <laughs> no. Do you get answers in that? No. No. Would I like answers? Yes. Other than this is love. Genuine love. And I get answers in the sense that I sense God loving me and saying, you know, I go through all kinds of ups and downs with you, Sarah, and I don't change. So. Yeah, not easy. I'm concerned that as Christians, we don't wrestle more with the question of a good, loving God uh, not putting an end to the evil and misery. Yeah, 4,000, 5,000 years of this stuff, right? Mm. And I, I do think it goes back to that whole sense of free will mm-hmm. i don't know how you can have genuine love and cut out free will i think they have to be together and it makes for pain and hurt and awful things but i think without free will you can't have genuine love expensive <laughs> it is it is not the easy button right Mm-mm. probably not the way i do things yeah right aren't you glad you're not omniscient though (laughs) right it seems too risky but uh, (laughs) I know made in the image of Nathan that's (laughs) awesome man (laughs) all little Nathans running around everybody would love that that'd be fantastic Uh, dangerous world (laughs) (laughs) how has the a heartache, the intensity, but also the beauty of what you've seen all around the world impact you stateside in terms of care for others, love, service? Yeah, that's a great question. Because so many times stateside, I just want to mail it in. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is like, eh, and it, 
the intentionality that I have when it's overseas and well, that's when it's easy, yeah. but to be purposeful and intentional in the U S um, so I'm not a different person, you know, that I'm continuous, I'm authentic all the way through consistent. And sometimes I pull it off better than others. Um, you know, in my daily living here, sometimes I fall short and I'm just like, check the box, get it over with, you know? And sometimes I do better and I'm like, no, sit in this and be present and engage, you know? So again, I don't always do it well, but you know, here we go. <laughs> what, what makes you want to check out or phone it in? Uh, well, if I'm tired, you know, um, I've got a lot of, and the other thing is if I've got a lot of moving parts, some days are busier, weeks are busier than others. And you kind of just get it done, right? Check the box. Um, or what is it about our culture or the way we live that, that makes it difficult? Uh, I think that achievement mindset, you know, and success and be, you know, bigger and better and all that stuff. I think we have kind of sometimes the wrong goals, you know, and measuring, comparing ourselves, you know, and some of that, you know, the financial things or the achievements or, you know, comparing, oh, she's did this. What did you do? You know, some of that stuff. I think those are all distractions from being purposeful. Shallow too, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you find yourself empty and you're like, wow, why do I, why am I so unfulfilled? Hmm. You know, maybe it's because, and I like it, you know, seek, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Well, you find what you're looking for. And if it's not fulfilling, then maybe you're looking for the wrong thing, right? But you, you got what you were looking for. Yeah. Exactly. Oops. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you see as good and helpful ways for people to um, serve in their own neighborhoods or communities? Well, I think one of the first things is see people. See the person who might be homeless. See the mom who's struggling in the grocery store, you know, three kids in tow. And yeah, she's cranky. (laughs) You know, don't just, not you know, you get upset with her kids because they're kind of out of control. We'll see what's going on, you know, see past some of just the external. See people, you know, don't see functions and don't just see behaviors and outcomes. See people. I think that's ground zero because when we don't see people, we miss the whole plot, you know, see people. I think that's step one. Yeah. And there's a cost to that. Mm -hmm. Because it takes time, takes purpose. And I think you can pray and ask God, show me people. Mm -hmm. Show me not just functions and externals, show me people. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to probably feel it and you'll be like, woo, changed my mind. (laughs) <laughs> enough right. showing thank you very much let's Peace go out, to baby. nice little boxes that's right <laughs> yeah there's something that's helpful to me about walking into situations knowing that there's potentially going to be a cost emotionally mentally yep. yeah and voluntarily yeah, doing counted, such. yeah counted ahead of time but for some people they don't if they start to count the cost then they don't want to do it no, that's true 
some people are wired up. Like for me, I'm like, just jump in and then, woo, I'm in over <laughs> my head. But if I start to count the cost, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's expensive. So I think it just depends on how you're wired up. True. You know? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Healthy ignorance to it. For, when it's done for me, is it, it, I just, I don't feel like a victim then. Oh, I, right. That's I go true. into it knowingly and accepting that. And yeah. as a kind of, Prayerful yeah. move with God. You know, it's kind yeah. of what breaks God's heart. I let it break exactly. mine a little. Exactly. Love well, huh? Mm. Mm. This is so good. Sarah, tell me, how can people um, help your, your efforts with saving Moses? Sure. Um, you know, all the Facebook, you know, all that social media stuff's great. Share and like us and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a website, savingmoses.org. And uh, once a year, we take people on a team trip to Cambodia to help Mm. us with night care. So there's an application process and welcome people to check into that. That's a that's a great way to, you know, kind of roll up your sleeves and get into the mix of it. So lots of ways to help. Obviously, finances is super good, but there's all kinds of ways. You know, Mm -hmm. social media is a great start. So great. And I'm assuming it takes a lot of money to operate this. How do you do it? Um, well, friends like you that help me <laughs> promote Saving Moses, <laughs> that's one way. It's great. Um, I'll, I go and speak at churches as well, speak at conferences and kind of raise visibility, awareness. Um, CBN came recently to um, Cambodia. They're going to probably do a special on us for 700 Club, which is cool. Uh-huh. So just all kinds of ways. And people get moved in their hearts. And, you know, ultimately, I grateful that God supplies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty cool to watch it happen. Good. I love what you do. I mm-hmm. love the, the tension that you live with of, I get to love and I get to, you know, I'm loved through it and you've got energy, but I also love your honesty of, yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful that you let me come and talk about it. Right. <laughs> super grateful and nathan i'm yes. writing a book on it are you really yeah biography of saving moses i'm super pumped about it, it comes out next year in 19 nice how far are you are you into it um it's almost done now we need to edit Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> exactly do you want to come back can I interview you when, when it's when yeah, it comes out? Yeah, of course. That'd be awesome, dude. I totally that. love that, right? <laughs> Good. Seriously, man, we light it up, huh? <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much today. Thank you, Nathan. Good. Well, there you have it. So good. So good. Hey, you can find out more about Saving Moses at savingmoses.org. And if any of you happen to join her in Cambodia, do let us know. I absolutely love the idea of connecting people to experiences and resources. Hey, have a great week.